I already got a name for this one. Really? No, I already know the name it's of this tasty. episode. You're sort of just keep trying to inject it into the podcast. <laughs> Should I just tell you what it is now so we can just like, accept that it's the name of the podcast? I refuse. Okay. Chris, you want to hear some great news? I do. It's June 24th, 2015. This is Idle Thumbs 216. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Sean Vanneman. I'm Danielle Riendo. And I'm Jake Rodkin. And Whoa. Welcome and back, Jake. It's been thanks. weeks since you've been on this podcast. Back, it's been two Jake. weeks. Mm-hmm. That's all I got to say about <laughs> how long it's been. Um, you guys were at E3. All well, yeah. do you, two of you were at E3, and Danielle, you were in New York covering E3. You were yes. covering E3 from your East Coast bunker. Exactly. So you were all either actually or virtually at E3. Correct. Our minds were at E3. Which was an E3 of virtual reality. Yes. Which I tried for the first time in my life. Oh, really? Week. Which yeah. one did you try? I tried Super Hot. In I don't even know what that Oculus. was. What hardware? Oh, the game? Yeah, Super the, Hot, game. the game. Oh, which, well, which? I tried Oculus Rift. Okay, uh, okay. Super Hot. Right. And also a weird racing demo. Was it the, like full version of super hot that they're making that's like an expanded version of the original thing they had a they had a kickstarter i played both actually okay i played the the smaller demo that was optimized for oculus and then i played the game itself on console other than well not on console but like on a pc other than the rift version you played it in both 2d and the three exactly exactly Hmm. i did did you prefer one to the other um well since it was my first time in the rift it was my first time in the Rift. Yeah. It was very, uh, it was very intense when I was in that experience. I think the game itself was more interesting. It, it was a later build. It was an early build that was actually in the Rift, basically. That was like a super early, I don't know, maybe from like last fall or so. It had kind of the old art style and everything. Okay, so that oh, was okay. probably the one, the version of the game that I played that they released yeah. for free, as I recall. Yeah, way back. I, I, played I that. feel like, I, yeah, me too. I feel like that game makes. That makes a lot of sense for a virtual reality game. So let me yeah. explain what Superhot is because we we didn't uh, we just Sorry. launched right into it. Yeah. So <laughs> Superhot is a competing virtual reality hardware. <laughs> yeah, Superhot was a, a first person shooter that was made for a game jam, I believe, and I don't remember yeah, what. Yeah, 3D FPS, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. It uh, it was a game jam game where you, it, you play in first person and you. Okay, so Danielle, correct me if I'm wrong yeah. here, if I'm remembering the rules of this game incorrectly. Sure. I believe it is a first-person shooter in which time progresses incredibly slowly, like almost imperceptibly, but still forward as you stand still. Yes. But then as you move, time speeds up to normal speed, which means if someone fires a gun at you in the game and you just stand still, the bullet will va- – you can just stand in the path of the bullet and it will very slowly inch towards you. And then as soon as you sidestep to get out of the way, it will zoom past. And so you you basically – what you're trying to do is like position yourself in optimal standpoints and minimize the amount of time that you're running out in the open where you're yes. more vulnerable to the getting sort shot. Of, the sort of very earliest images and like scenarios of Superhot seem like they're based on – the hallway scenes with the agents in the Matrix, right? Yeah, right. I mean, it was like, very much yeah. like that. It's just yeah. three guys at the end of the hallway all shoot guns at you, and then you sort of slow down time and enter a weird zen state as you magically, up to their perception, just dodge all of them and, right. and take them But out. what's cool is that it, it actually kind of 
it feels like it actually captures that better than the million other games that have done bullet time because it is entirely based on your own movement. So it's like when you move, you're like, it's like this crazy. Well, it's a totally subjective like perception, like the mechanics line up to your brains. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't have dilation. A, you don't have to like press a button to engage bullet time. Right. It's a sort of just fluid decision that you're constantly mm-hmm. making just as a secondary part of moving around the world. It's, it's a really yeah. clever stripped down, really smart design. Absolutely. Um, it is really amazing in, I bet. in virtual yeah, reality I could, as I well. Totally Cause you can actually, that. you know, you can look around and see the bullets sort of whizzing by does looking, the, the side of your head. Does looking count as moving? So, no. or does, oh, so you can just look around you and can just look around for time, 10 minutes. That's even more matrix like yeah, exactly. yeah. movie as the bullets are going by, he's he like moving his head them up. to yeah. look around at them. And yeah, it's basically just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really, cool. really cool in VR. Was, this, um, was the setup then just like a, a controller? Yeah, and just a controller with the headset. With the headset? Yeah, cool. it was it was awesome. And then I played the newer version of the game, which is more mechanically... There's a little bit more to it. There are different kinds of weapons. You can pick up a weapon and fire it. You can have a baseball bat. You can have a katana. You can actually slice bullets in half if you get the timing right. Oh, with, you, with your attack, <laughs> kind of. That's cool. Um, it's really cool, and it's it's prettier. There's this very you know extremely high contrast sort of art style to it now. Like it's very white, clean backgrounds, and the enemies are bright red and sort of have this weird sort of sheen. I to mean, them, it's it's so. always felt like the art direction of the game, at least in the the original version, was basically inspired by '90s era virtual oh, reality, totally. where everything yeah. is like one of two colors because Absolutely. the screens were always really <laughs> basic <laughs> yeah. and you know bright red and low poly geometry. You know. Yeah. It, it's it's cool and the newest build which was the build that was at e3 on the show floor that people played last week they actually sent us a build too so we could play it in new york uh and stream it actually a little tiny bit and it, it actually starts to hint at story content as well there are sort of four levels and they they sort of play out like puzzles you know you sort of figure out the optimal path to get to the weapon or, or kind of get to the bad guys and figure things out and there's there's all kinds of physics going on there is a scenario where there is like a car hitting another car and you have to get out of the way of that as well as enemies firing bullets at you. So it's really cool. It, it looks like it's already been iterated upon to the point where, hey, this makes sense. This is actually a cool next action kind of game scene that you would play next in this scenario, in this bullet time scenario. Um, and the story that it's being hinted at, it seems kind of, you know, VR 90s as well. Like, you don't know what's real, that that mm-hmm. whole kind of thing. But I think it fits this this sort of game and i think it fits with this atmosphere so it's pretty cool it was also my first time trying vr since 1995 when i tried the (laughs) aladdin experience what that was my first time using vr as well that's amazing i've never heard of this what is the carpet thing it's a disneyland thing yeah Yeah. it was really disney world in epcot at least when i went imagineering land though no it was disneyland Disneyland, 1995 was the first time i went to disneyland no it was the 40th anniversary imagineering (laughs) had a like public facing just want to see what the future of rides could be exhibit where they just uh-huh. had like four Aladdin like magic carpet control things that yep. you'd sit on and strap a helmet on and you were inside a VR version of the big city from Aladdin and then you'd fly around on a carpet. Agrabah. Yeah, you're an Agrabah and uh, a like bad 2D drawing of Gilbert Godfrey's parrot shows up yep. and squawks at you and then if I remember correctly, I just ran into the walls a bunch but I was There's amazed that. That, it was, that it was in 3D. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, it's it's it was pretty cool. But yeah, the, the, <laughs> the way the, back, I don't know, twenty years ago. Yeah, but I have I had not put a VR headset on between then and like classic, classic sirens, uh, and like just a couple months ago when I first put an Oculus Rift on. 
It was super weird. I keep so, so this isn't. I, I don't have much to say about this because I haven't thought about it deeply at all. But I've, for whatever reason, I've seen a number of different people comment recently that like 3D virtual reality, you know, sort of project that virtual reality like 3D may never catch on in the home, but that it may have a future at theme parks. Do you guys think sure. that there's any like? potential for that that makes sense right i mean if you if you're already strapping into a vehicle yeah. why not just put an industrial right. grade headset on and then you don't need to make the ride yeah <laughs> that's true. i mean i, mean, I don't i mean star tours feels like, that feels yeah, like, right? more like, like star tours and back to the yeah. future have like those are like classic rides at this stage right but still hmm it feels like a universal <laughs> studios thing rather than a disney thing yeah like it feels yeah. like universal studios leans way heavier on the video component. oh yeah i mean it's it's the like Fisherman's Wharf, big San Francisco tourist trap, used to have an amusement park ride that was themed around the Terminator, but it was just what I guess is now like a D-box seat in a movie theater where you'd sit down and just Arnold would say, come with me if you want to live, and then they just put a camera on a motorcycle and drove it around, and occasionally like liquid metal would come flying, and the seats yeah. would just tip around. So yeah. like, yeah. I could see VR turning into the like evolution of that, basically, of like we could put an attraction, in quotes, in a thing the size of like... Just a small office hopefully, and charge they, a ton of money for it. Uh, yeah, hopefully, they, yeah. hopefully you still get the um, hopefully you still get the ride photo at the end, but it's just everybody wearing a dorky <laughs> headset. Basically, thing, yeah. the ride photo. Hopefully, it's like still the like two by eight array of people sitting <laughs> sitting in like a car, all just and, with their mouths open. Yeah, looking. all with their mouths open. It would basically <laughs> look like what it looks like when you go to Google Image Search and you search for Will Smith Oculus, and you get an entire page of just a grid of identical Will Smith wearing Oculus Rift. Uh, photographs with his mouth open. Oh, Tested Will Smith. Test, not, tested yeah. Will Smith. Yes, not, not the, actor, not yeah. the We yes, talked about that picture last Mr. week on the Fresh podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I also tried an Oculus demo for, and I'm sorry, I apologize, I'm blanking on the name. It was a racing game that happened on a sort of 3D twisting cylinder. It was very, like, uh, like F-Zero-ish, sort of, and it made me sick. Like, I actually had to oh, well, stop no. and, like, be yeah. like, I'm going to throw up if I stay in this much longer. I was like, this is really cool. And I need to take this off now. Maybe I'm old. Maybe my yeah. eyes are not right for this. But well, there's. Still, was, I mean, there are, there are already like lots of people who get motion sickness just from non VR first person games. Yeah. I've, I've like had that's, that that's already a thing before. that is. Oh, yeah. so this is just like upping <laughs> yeah. the ante there. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. definitely true. I'm worried about that. I mean, I've been worried about it the whole time. Oculus has been, you know, something that people have been talking about the last couple of years. I've been worried because I've had that experience. Not often, but I've definitely mm-hmm. watching someone else not. play a first person game. Never. Yeah, exactly. Watching somebody else play a first person game on a big enough screen, I will get sick. Like yeah. I, I need it to be yeah, watching like a someone computer tougher, screen or something. You're not, potential you're not actually, yeah. Yeah. potential you're, sickness in first person was introduced to me for the first time uh, when I went on the Walt Disney World Aladdin VR experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I didn't get I didn't get sick. Oh god, just like I was a no, I was a churro when a chicken leg. Just, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's funny that it's just the same <laughs> problems that existed yeah. forever because they had those magic carpets and two of them had like gyroscopic like actuator things oh, like right, as you yeah. move they would sort of swoop right, around right and two of them didn't and i really wanted the swooping one but i couldn't have it and they were <laughs> like oh and i said why do you even have them that don't move and they said oh because people kept barfing on them so <laughs> that's like the uh that's like the um oh the God. ferris wheel at california adventure at disneyland where they have they, they it's a ferris they wheel a and there's like seat. there's two lines yeah there's one that's like normal seat and then it's like swinging gondola and it's yeah. like it's like you know stationary gondola swing gondola and and you look at the ferris wheel and you're like oh it's like a charming swinging thing no like <laughs> i everyone who has gone on that i've ever talked to is like you will barf forever this is the scariest <laughs> oh fucking thing i've ride i've ever yeah. been on in my entire life and it's a goddamn ferris wheel yeah 
There's a nice slow little, yeah, no. And there's no, like, they don't indicate at all oh, God. that it's, like, a terrifying experience. <laughs> it's just, like, they've got a cute little, like, 2D line art drawing. It's not of, that like, scary, but imagine if you went on that Ferris wheel with a VR headset. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> of you it's swinging Aladdin. in the opposite direction. <laughs> oh, my <No>. God. <laughs> oh, my God, the vomit. Ugh. So anyway, what else happened at E3? Not vomit-related at E3. Oh, well, I got nothing. You know, I... I almost vomited from happiness a couple times. That's awesome. Isn't that like a marketing line for that ill bleed game on Dreamcast? Oh, God. <laughs> it probably is. It's like shit with fear, puke with pleasure. You'll vomit with excitement. You'll puke with pleasure. You'll shit with fear. Yeah, that is I correct. I think you're absolutely right. Splattered brains. Infected flesh. That is ill yeah. bleed. I don't know. It was... E3, like, we had to go uh, because Fire- Firewatch was being shown. But I Congrats, came back from E3. Way. Thanks. Um, I came back uh, actually enthused about a handful of games. and Which ones? Um, Cuphead. Yes. Oh, man. I've been really excited about Cuphead for a while. Yeah. 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 Really excited about Cuphead. Crazy. Cuphead is yeah. a like 2D action plot action game that looks like sort of like an like Up Iwerks style old school, mm-hmm. um, almost like pre Mickey Mouse era yeah, animation. Animation yeah. looks pretty great. It's like the old like Bosco Warner Brothers cartoons, yeah. like pre yeah. Bugs Bunny cast Looney Tunes stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's completely. It is like legitimately hand animated, like cell animated, yeah. in in the traditional manner. It's crazy. It looks. It is like the best execution of that you could imagine. Just everything yeah. about it is incredible. The colors and the style of animation and the way that it doesn't look. It doesn't. Br- you know, so frequently games like that when people try to capture that kind of aesthetic, you see the seams in the animation, mm-hmm. you know, like it just, well, wh- like the, you adopt that style, but it just looks like flash animation. Everything's tweened and sort of right. just like yeah. nothing actually right. moves. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's really impressive. It's really, really, really impressive. Yeah. So I can't wait to, for that. That's up there. Uh, excited for Tacoma. Yeah. Hell really yeah. It was Steve's nice to gamer. see more from Steve's game and, uh, and talk to him about that. Uh, then, um, Gosh, the Sony press conference actually just blew my mind uh, yes. because The Last Guardian looks sensational. I just can't wait for that game. It sure I does. cannot wait for The Last Guardian. Um, Last Guardian. Obviously, Uncharted 4. I'll play that game because I'm a sucker for big, action, expensive games. Uncharted 4 had probably the most successful failure of a demo in the history <laughs> of demos. You know, it was so sure odd. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. But just the, the fact that that happened was... I think it was well, what really happened actually, was oh yeah it cut to the it went after the cutscene they have a really beautiful cutscene Nathan Drake looks out over this like favela or wherever they are it looks like South America somewhere and they cut into like the, 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 the character and it's a chase model scene. yeah, yeah and it cuts into the character speak, model yeah. and like he's it cuts, like but they don't cut because it does the it thing, doesn't cut it, it just drifts. it does the thing that, that oh you're right the camera Uncharted does, does yeah. where it you, you never the camera never cuts at all it mm-hmm. goes smoothly from the cutscene into now it's third person playable. Right. And yeah. Everybody went, Oh, it looks like the cutscene. Yeah. And, and the guy <laughs> runs away and then Drake just sits there breathing. Breathing idle. Yeah, it to is idle animation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it restarts yeah. once. So he stands up for like 10 seconds and then they restart it. And then it happened again for like two minutes. Right? No. 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 no, 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 no it was no. just a oh, second oh, time. Oh. Yeah. 
Maybe, Maybe we'll you watched a novelty gif of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no it, he, he, he sat there for like what seemed like 30 seconds, but it was probably 10 seconds, and they restarted the whole opening cutscene again, and they went. I, I, I think his controller was dead. It's not even that it was dead, is that he picked up the wrong one. I read a thing about it, but just... Oh, no. But that, that game was so impressive looking aesthetically that yeah. had, had there not been a person playing... On stage. Like, on stage, you wouldn't know what you were looking at, I think, as far well, as just the dollars on screen. Or if it yeah. didn't fail, because if right, it didn't well, yeah. fail, you would never know if it was a canned it, video yeah, exactly. with someone pretending to play. It failing, that's what I mean when I when I started this. It's just, like, the fact that Drake just sat there behaving like a shitty video game character for a second when no one was playing, I think, was... It was really helpful, because you'd get th- three quarters of the way through that demo, and they're just, like, crashing through streets, and just, like, it just mm-hmm. looks like... It just looks like the most expensive movie if they had decided for some reason to CG animate it instead of film it with live actors. Yeah. Right. And then you just remembering, oh, if he stopped playing right now, he would just sit there breathing like an idiot again. He also like, played it, really well. Like, he, I mean, obviously it was very, very, That guy's very, job very, for very a week rehearsed. must have been playing yeah. it. Probably but more man, than, there was yeah. some, like, some stuff in there like, I would have clipped on that. Like, I would have hit that. <laughs> <laughs> that would not look as cool if I was playing it. Yeah. They, uh, let, they yeah. let press, I think, play that thing. Yeah, we were supposed to play it, but we came home. Yeah, we came home. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so maybe there's less impressive captures on various people's websites. I was just really excited that, like, the beginning of the Sony press conference was just really well, creatively expensive, course, yeah. creatively ambitious games of all different flavors, from No Man's Sky to Dreams to The Last Guardian. Totally different schools of design, different aesthetics, different everything, and none of them scream like mega hit, but were treated like like they were going to be and i think that's like but none of them you're not you know you don't mean none of them you just mean some of them right because what do you mean well because uncharted 4 clearly right i just meant the first those first three that i mentioned uncharted 4 is obviously they put that at the end of the press conference (laughs) that's gonna be millions of dollars (laughs) obviously but you know like nobody knows what dreams is really still nobody really knows that no man's sky is really still but they're really just such they're so ambitious and so interesting that i felt really uh just uh, uplifted after that which is strange even though i had to sit through seven minutes of blops blops oh man do not you do not want to watch somebody play blops in a sports arena with a really nice sound system it is (laughs) traumatic the the thing that i i didn't get to play it because right as i got in line for it they shut it down but i've since watched videos of it and i love the trailer is super hypercube which is uh, oh that was playable yeah, it was at the Morpheus booth. Oh, man. All I saw was the teaser trailer, the, and I assumed it was just going to be forever until no, I the, saw No, the anything. teaser trailer, which is, I mean, it's Polytron and, I guess, Kokoromi, which is, like, another group which Phil Fish is involved in, are making a VR game called Super Hypercube, which looks very much like old 3D, te- like old, like 3D Tetris spin-off games. It doesn't look like it's mechanically complicated. It's just a 3D shape is falling into your collection of shapes. And all that it's using is the head tracking element of the set to be able to sort of just look around and navigate the space slightly 3D. But it has the aesthetics. I mean, it, it from the trailer and from the gameplay footage that I saw, like if, if anyone remembers the Fez 2 teaser that Phil Fish, yeah. Fish put oh, out yeah. last year that was just yeah. fucking amazing laser beams and space and just like <laughs> 70s sort of just like sci- sci-fi synth. And like <laughs> it's the game seems like it's just that. Like it seems almost like... 
the descendants of Jeff Minter or something, basically, right, where it's yeah. just That's like awesome. yeah. really simple gameplay, but and much more they cleaned up Jeff Minter. Yeah, yeah, but you're inside this weird like one point perspective neon light array that then turns into the crazy psychedelic sequences from 2001. I'm really excited about it because I want more VR stuff that is like that. I want more people. VR that looks like what you think of when someone says VR. That's, I mean, that's true, but I also just think, like, the first thing that Space everyone tries to VR. do with VR is, like... Recreate reality. You're inside of an alternate right. world. Like, shut up. Just, like, put me inside of a sweet neon light show with yeah. a Tetris block. Like, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but the trailer for Super Hypercube is a, an amazing teaser. You should look at it. Also... Whatever. I'm I'm glad that somehow Phil Fish is doing stupid video game things again. <laughs> yes. He announced that very, like, quietly. I'm glad that it's kind of a, a – this sounds – I don't mean this to sound negative, but, like, I'm kind of glad that it's a mechanically unambitious game. Yes. Not because, not because I think Fez was not a good game. I really liked Fez a lot. I played a lot of Fez. But because I, 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 I really like – I would like to – encourage the idea of someone who gets kind of put in the like auteur category of video game developer doesn't always have to make like they, they shouldn't always have to make a game that's like a character going through a journey right. and it's like You're emotional like, and like, could a this game way. upset like, their previous magnum opus like no right, shut exactly. up it's super yeah hyper-cube. like he wants to make a crazy thing with colors like that i i like that and i i i wish that that were um, I wish that there was there was less like sort of passive discouragement of that yep. of that yeah. kind of oh the, the I think also one of the reasons that Super Hypercube might be as constrained as it as it is is because it started off I guess unsurprisingly for a thing like this as I, I believe a connect a, game a, no oh f that it it's predates connect it started Even off then because it also was no. a connect game for a while yeah that was it was it was announced as a connect game but I think it was prototyped as the um Put the two IR beams on your head and your Wii remote on your TV mo- <laughs> oh, motion tracking what? thing that everyone got. Oh, in. man. Remember I when everyone got excited about that? Yeah, you could there do was homemade... like a period of like six months where people were doing all that crazy Right, but I mean, if, you, if you think about the, the mechanics of this game, which is just peering around an object, that's a yeah. perfect fit for yeah. that like Wii remote head tracking hack. Yeah. And I think this started either as a game jam or just as a prototype from people being <laughs> excited about that. In like I'm 2007 really or 2008. You know what's so yeah. funny about that is that so many of the games that make use of this hardware are either games that are like just just unrelated and you know they have like tie-in functionality with that hardware or they have a version made for that hardware but like they were conceived as just games that you can buy on just whatever normal system or it's like here's a thing that is being commissioned by the the hardware manufacturer for that thing and it's like very much always tied to that thing this is a very very rare example of a game that has just always been meant for head tracking but not one <laughs> yeah. brand of like head tracking right. solution but like first it was for weird homebrew we remote helmet uh then it was for connect because that was around anyway that's gone now so now it's for morpheus <laughs> like weird that is i don't think there's probably not a single example super hypercube will actually ship for the room. holodeck it will actually yeah. be, yes. Indeve- yes. It'll be yes. Philfish's dying Perfect. game release yeah. Yeah. <laughs> god that's so awesome i just want to concur and agree and say that this E3 was really exciting. And it excited me, and there were more things that I actually want to play total than last year. Last year, I, was, I liked the Nintendo stuff, and there mm-hmm. were a few like indie things that I thought were cool, like Never Alone, a few other like smaller games. But this year, I, I actually felt like I actually want to go out and play these games that I, I normally wouldn't be excited about. Like, mm-hmm. 
okay, well, this I would be excited about this, but the Dishonored 2 reveal where, you know, like, Emily mm. is going to be a main character now. I was I was souped, and I really liked Dishonored, but I kind of fell off Dishonored. And, that character design is so good. Oh, it's amazing. It's really good. I'm not going to lie. I'm, like, I did a little cut of, like, all the women characters that were sort of shown, and that was another sort of trend at E3, mm-hmm. was, like, there were a lot more women protagonists shown, or, like, yeah. women playable characters, which was so awesome, and there were more women on stage actually presenting stuff, too. So it was, like, yeah, like, feel good about this. This is awesome. Um, there were some big piles yeah. of bullshit, but it's the usual oh, well, stuff. Course. But yeah. in general, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't... I walked around the show floor, and especially on, like, the first party, South Hall... Um, man, it was just kind of like exciting in general. Yeah. Nintendo's booth was awesome. Felt like there was, <laughs> there was energy, so much good stuff in you there. know, like in last year, you know, I was there last year and I, I typically go to E3. This is the first year I haven't like physically been there in six years. There just felt like there wasn't much energy last year. And in this year, you know, just judging from sort of what I saw and, and what my colleagues told me, like it felt like people were actually excited to be there playing games, which is nice. Like E3 should be the Vegas of games, but that doesn't have to be a, a horrible thing. Like this year kind of proves that. Like, yeah, yeah, let's show the the big guns, but let's also like celebrate that and feel good about it. So cool. I have a pocket un un uh, <laughs> I have a pocket in my in my pants. Um no I, I have a I have a is there a party is that a pocket in, in your pocket, pocket or you... I have a I have a, oh, a thing that I was wondering <laughs> about this year's E three that I have not considered well enough to be like a fully formed opinion. We're gonna call this amusing. It's amusing. It's amu- not, not like I'm amused. No, okay. Well, so, I, I think it'll be amusing. There, there are a lot of people who are sort of, I guess, like my peers or people sort of of like sort of our approximate collective era of being in the games industry for whom this year's E3 like rates mysteriously high. Oh, um, I have an idea. And my, yeah. my, my question is, do you guys think that that is actually because we're at and this this kind of inadvertently dips into some other conversations that are happening with Tale of Tales, which I don't mean to be getting into hard right now, but um, I'm wondering if right now we're, we're, I mean, the notion of indie game design in from like 2004 to 2014 or so, it seems like it is, is we're moving out of that and now into an increasing number of really high level games, like high, high level, like, perception public perception games that would have been under the radar indie hits a few years ago we've got more and more teams the size of the one that we work at at campo santo 12 to 15 uh, and a lot of console hardware manufacturers signing exclusive deals with indie games that would have previously just been third-party published six months later on xbox live arcade or barely made it on steam do you guys think that the reason that everyone is liking e3 now is because we're in a place where everyone is just part of e3 um, where like basically we're seeing a lot of indies now cusp into being a 2015 version of what used to just be small commercial game developers. Yeah. Like we're all just inside of it now and that's why we're liking it more. That's my like sort of pessimistic question and I don't have data to back it up. I don't know if that's necessarily pessimistic though. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Do you, think that's, do, you think that's all, do you think that's like on balance bad? Well, I also don't even know if that's what's going on entirely. I only have tiny bits of evidence, and they're really personal. Like I haven't. Yeah, I haven't, you're the worst people to make that. <laughs> well, I know because I'm, I'm in a place where like, I, I haven't yeah. been to E3 for ten years, but now I have a game that is still small, but bigger than a previous generation indie game in a Sony keynote. Steve Gaynor had never been to E3 in his life, and he was there to go on stage and present his like 
not quite 10 people, but increasingly large companies product, you know, and there's a lot of people now who are in like, I mean, even Phil Fish has a game here, but it's like a game in, locked into a first party yeah. distribution deal. And he has a team of multiple people behind him on this project. Like you know, Soma like, was on the floor and there was a bunch of, yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. Level. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the midsize in, yeah, I mean, I think. When you say everyone is part of Ether, I think what you mean is the mid, no. the midsize indies. Yeah, I mean, but that yeah. is the but that is a thing that didn't really exist uh, several years ago. Right, so and I, if you were a midsize indie a few years ago, you were on Steam only, right? Basically, right. right. Yeah, but it seems like not quite I, I publishers, think, but like big like Microsoft and Sony have sort of taken the place of publishers for midsize indies because yeah. you can get a distribution deal. Well, and, and or, an ex- yeah. or like a, a just sort of a partnership. I mean, that, it's whatever. probably it's probably attractive to Microsoft and Sony because. The um, the days of getting huge AAA games as console exclusives or even timed console exclusives are basically gone. Right, like and Tomb Raider been is for, not going to come out on just the Xbox time. or right. just yeah. the PlayStation. Exactly, yep. and so they can they can afford to run a certain amount of their business more like HBO or something, where they can invest in something that is more of a prestige product that obviously they still want to be profitable and successful and get get a lot of people playing it. But a big part of what they're doing is creating a portfolio that says look at what we're look at what we have on our on our console and that that is you know really marketed towards the kinds of people who pay attention to all this stuff and are really tapped in and are hopefully you know looking for a a broader range of experiences than the stuff that makes it all the way to the 50 million dollar Yeah, they're AAA. trying to have a diverse portfolio for their hardware as reasons mm-hmm. to buy the game or, yeah, or and the that, system. And yep. that ends up working well because those those that's getting to be a bit more of a flexible ecosystem than it used to be in the sense that most of those deals are no longer like infinite exclusives. You know, they're timed exclusives because probably I imagine what those platform holders have found is that past the few months of timed exclusivity, the returns diminish heavily on it being an ex- you know exclusive to their console forever. They just want to be able to get get out right. there first and mm-hmm. associate get it in your brain as being associated with their machine. Right. Um, and, and that has, that's kind of a, kind of a nice knock on effect for these mid-sized independent studios. Yep. It wouldn't surprise me to see, um, those first parties and bigger third party publishers making like, I don't know, mid-sized independent, these studios would then not be independent, but making like the three to $5 million budget bets because that would be nice. It wouldn't, it just very much wouldn't surprise me because at one point um, you're going to see games continue to succeed at that budget. And then the, like, like what do you think any publisher would pay for the bastion IP? Mm. You know what I mean? It's like they want to start making those bets because the value proposition is so high. If one lands where it's like, Oh yeah, we like greenlit 15, $4 million games, which isn't a ton of money for somebody like, you know, EA and if that's, that's that, a call of duty marketing campaign, right? You know, yeah. and if that yields a, like an IP that they would then obviously own, I think that's something that they obviously have to be thinking about. Square is starting to do that with the whole don't nod. Yeah. Don't nod. I mean, I wouldn't be, the, uh, God, life is strange. And now with their oh, oh, yeah, yeah, RPG, yeah. stuff like yeah. that, I, I feel like, yeah, that's starting just beginning to emerge. And that's like, I mean, I, that, that's the thing that I would kind of worry about is that, this, we kind of get into another cycle of, of mid-sized studios in rounds of layoffs being treated poorly by publishers because they're taking this money that's much more like at the level that they should be taking it. I mean, when we were like looking to raise money for Firewatch, like no publisher would give us what we wanted. Like that's the range that we were looking for. And it was just like 20 million 
or get the fuck out. Or if you're making, or make an, an iPhone game, or make an iPhone game for 250 yeah. yeah. k and we're like, uh, what? It was like impossible to find that money two years ago. Yeah, and it just wouldn't surprise me if that started to happen. Um, but I don't know if the consequences of I think the consequences of that could be good for the consumer in terms of there just being a lot of games around that size with like cool, like, like creative, unique indie studios. But I worry about it as a sustainable. I practice. think it's I think it's almost guaranteed to be a cycle, and I don't have a whole lot more to say about this, but um. It feels very much like what is being published as sort of like indie plus 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 games that are getting picked up by console manufacturers and probably in the very near future publishers, at which point the cycle will be complete, is like an evolution of like N plus or the original Spelunky or mm-hmm. like just like the just early indie games that managed to make it onto Xbox on, Arcade, onto Xbox Arcade yeah. or like even just like Alien Hominid, the first behemoth game, yeah. or like yeah. early Edmund McMillan stuff like Gish. Like you could it, I mean you could torture this sort of parallel even further if you go back to things like what happened to the shareware developers in the early nineties. That's what I was that's they, exactly the okay. that's I mean I was gonna yeah. torture it exactly that okay. far of just like <laughs> looking at the evolution of those games up through like Super Meat Boy, up through the, the nice version of Spelunky and sort of the people who have been caught up in sort of as that has become a viable financial situation, including our company. But like, it seems like the next step, much like it was for small teams turning into small independent shareware developers, turning into teams with an office that like churn out a bunch of games. Right. Yeah. Or toys for Bob. You'll eventually yeah, turn into toys true. for Bob and then you eventually get acquired by Activision. And like, it feels like that cycle is we're at a good point right now, but I suspect that mm-hmm. in... Right. I'm happy right, right. now, but like, oh, It could go into ma- the mass production. Yeah, and, the, yeah. The, and yeah. the other thing that sort of makes me, makes me personally sad is that I sort of feel like I followed the wave that I am a part of, but I have no idea what's happening inside of the next cycle right now. It's, this E3 has made me realize that I'm completely out of touch with whatever five to ten years ago equivalent of like true indie development was. Danielle, I think you're way more. If you pay more attention to it than me, for sure, because you talk about games that I've never heard All of the on this Ichigo podcast. Games. But like, there's there are clearly just scenes that I have no idea what they are right now, and right. it's a it's a bummer to me. Well, I feel like there's an even more of it's a bummer to you that you don't know that I don't know that exists. No, not that I'm glad that exists. Jake, you've become the man. I'm just yes. a, I'm just an old you're man, man now. now. You're the man. It's weird. Now you're the you're man. man now, Doc. Uh, oh. You are because you just said that. <laughs> you guys want to take a break? Yeah, we do. And then, uh, and then video games. Video games. This week's episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by Zoom, a video conferencing service that makes it very easy to get video, screen sharing, group messaging, uh, everything you need to run an online meeting with other people elsewhere in the world uh, very easily. It works on Mac, uh, Windows, iOS, Android. Uh, and whatever video hardware you already have. The Zoom team has uh, attempted to tackle all of the problems with lag and bad video and unintuitive interface and all that kind of stuff. Go to zoom.us slash thumbs for a free account. That is right, a free account. We're going to try this because we currently use a solution to talk to the dudes in England, mostly, uh, in Nels in Canada while making the game all day. That is uh, suboptimal. Mm. So I think Zoom is going to get. Uh, we'll attempt to optimize with Zoom. We'll increase our optimizations. Yes. Zoom.us slash thumbs. That URL is just for us, by the way. <laughs> That's the yeah. point. Video games. This episode is also brought to you by the Midroll. The Midroll. Mid-roll. Yeah. The Midroll is our ad rep service. 
And if you go to podsurvey.com slash thumbs, uh, you can take a demographic survey that will help us help us understand um, what our audience is like uh, that listens to Idle Thumbs and will hopefully help us uh, continue to get advertisers that are relevant um, to like our nature audience. dipes. Like nature dipes, yeah. exactly. Classic, yeah. classic. Yeah. Or hover undie. Yeah. <laughs> pod survey. Weird. Podsurvey.com <laughs> slash thumbs. Oh, and you could win a $100 Amazon gift card. So, pod you know, survey. give that a shot. Amazon. I'm going to enter pod today. Survey. You're, Host you're not, not eligible to enter. Video game. In the future, podsurvey.com will be like a like a surveying service that comes out and makes sure that your underground your pod is, your, that your pod is like up to code. <laughs> not gonna not gonna I like, don't uh, have a pod. Not gonna die in like a solar lead storm or whatever yeah, the fuck that we're a, subjected it's to. It's the new Fallout game, is what pod survey is. I thought you were gonna be. suggest that a pod just gets like implanted in you a when you turn 13 clips. or something you've oh. got to get it serviced every five years oh you're talking about some that's some episode one shit you know what i mean some episode one shit what? sebulba and pod racer sebulba. no oh, he's talking what? about logan's run or something yeah, 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 yeah. oh i understand yeah, yeah, yeah. okay of course sorry yeah you're like personal operations device sebulba was <laughs> an exactly what it is in logan's run the pod survey actually just asks you how are you what kind of are you having a positive experience with your pod? And if you say you're not, you're euthanized. You just die. Yeah. It, you. <laughs> like, well, it just burns it. white hot until yeah. your just nervous system is ash. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds pod, like a good pod system. Survey. I love idle thumbs. <laughs> are we back? Uh, Let's be back. Yes. Let's be back. All right. It's good to be back. I'm happy to be back. It's great to be back, guys. It sure is. Stupendous. Stupendous and I wanna, momentous. I want to ask you to elaborate on something that I saw you... So here's the actually the best thing about E3 for me. Yeah. The best thing about E3 for me was that I got to hang out one-on-one with Jake a lot. Oh. And then we drove back from Los Angeles to San Francisco together. Oh, did you take the nice coastal route? We took the 101. Oh, Yeah, okay. it was quite nice. We very, stopped very in, nice. in San Luis. Not all the way out to Highway 1. Highway 1 would have been like a two-day... Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a little, quite little, the... A little more too romantic. Sure, anyway, yeah, it, would sure. been, it would have been... A little too much. Salt. It would have been nice. It would have yeah. been my dream. Yeah. Uh, but it was nice to get to just hang out with Jake as his friend for a couple of days, because uh, we never get to do that. Mm. And... Uh, I saw Jake get very excited about something that I want you to talk about. What did was I get? Was it the Yokai Watch? Nintendo. Which part of Nintendo? Mario Maker. Oh my god! Their oh, entire man. press conference. You what were you do with the drive? Basically, after the oh, I, just, I was just around him. I was in, just, the, in the afterwash mm, of this. I was just talking oh. about Mario Maker. Okay, so I guess I think we have to stop talking about E three after this. Okay, because we can't. We're gonna talk about all the games you played then. Yeah. Oh, great. No, I, I didn't really play many. I know. Um, <laughs> I was with you. I, by proxy, played like an additional three hours of Neko Atsume. But, um, Beautiful. Japanese cat watching game. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I want to play that, actually. I by d- proxy, do you mean you watch Dana play? I mean, I watch Dana play. Yeah. Yeah. I've just yeah. been sitting near this, it ambiently. Uh, we'll come back to that. Yeah. We, we talked about it a few weeks ago. That, what, yeah. what platform is that on? iPhone this? and Android. iPhone. iOS, Android, OS. Um, did you guys watch... Any of the Nintendo stuff? Yes, because I don't want to talk about it too much. The but it was conference. kind of it was kind of the best. Like early, earlier before the break, I kind of poo pooed a little bit of the enthusiasm around E three by just whatever whatever is going on in my brain. But I do attribute some of the sort of positive attitude around E three to Nintendo's presentation because Nintendo just said, you know what, 
I mean, I guess they did a like stream keynote thing separate from this, but their their big like amphitheater event was we're bringing back the nintendo world championships which was the thing that started off as like a mall tour (laughs) in the early 90s and basically ended in a questionable version of the wizard so their (laughs) keynote-esque presentation was a bunch of game consoles and uh i guess it sounds like the contestants were a mix of just randoms as well as speedrunners and youtube streamers oh crazy and they would just say like okay we're gonna play you know like smash and then we're going to play a game that we are announcing at E3 that we are releasing in the future. So everyone now has to play this game. Now we'll play Balloon Fight or whatever. <laughs> um, and, like, it was just really, really happy to watch. Like, it was yeah. just, the, like, a very modern Nintendo at its best good version of this. But they closed out, um, instead of showing a never-before-seen game, like you close out The Wizard or uh, or what, you, what your childhood <laughs> dream of a big Nintendo event like this would be, they closed out with Mario Maker. Yes. Um, and I've been kind of cool on Mario Maker. Mario Maker is just, it's a level design toolkit for Super Mario Brothers. I didn't entirely understand what it was. Like, I'd seen different art styles, and I thought it was just different theming. It apparently is not. It, it is just, you can make levels that have the tile set and movement mechanics of Mario 1, uh, Mario 3, Mario World, and New Super Mario Brothers. But also you can just flip between them, so they remade all oh, of the crazy. aesthetics for it's all of them. really cool, but, yeah. So the final challenge of... Wait, so did that mean they added mechanics into the Super Mario Brothers 1 it appears, to allow It appears for, that that is the case. You can have, yeah. like, giant enemies, or you can just bring in, And there's, like, like butt stops and things yeah, like yeah, that. Um, yeah, yeah I, I think the moveset stays the same per game you're playing in, but it means... Oh, that, right, but it, it looks different. Yeah, but you can, on, so you yeah, can, you can switch. switch which moveset and tile set you're using. But anyway, so the way they closed this out was they loaded up what looks like World 1-1 in Mario Brothers 1, and then it was revealed... To basically just be an internet troll level that was made by Nintendo of America's <laughs> QA team. Like, they walked through, like, three screens of it, and then there's just a wall of, you know, like, the blocks in Bowser's Castle that have, like, the five fireballs in a circle that sort of oh, spin yeah. around, yeah, like, just yeah, like yeah. a wall of fire. It was just a wall, literally, of that attacking the entire height of the screen, all just, like, slightly out of sync with the flag behind it. Um, and then the pipe that you're on, which is usually not a pipe you can drop down, you can drop down. And then it sort of did a, like, Stanley Parable portal-esque thing where Mario just fell out of the sky at the beginning of the level again. Um, <laughs> oh, no. But then that – it just goes fucking nuts where it's just, yeah. like, like five enemies on top of each other that are then spawning double-sized versions of other enemies and just, like, weird, huge leaps across parts of the level that are barely visible. And it was great to watch because it was too – Mario speedrunners, I think, were two of the last guys left in this thing, or two people who have just done Nintendo speedruns before were like good, and they just ate shit so hard in the first, <laughs> in the first couple of runs. But by the end, it was like it was just being at a Nintendo keynote at E3 and watching people just destroy what are clearly like the most difficult officially right. Nintendo sanctioned right. levels right. ever made was like okay, that was it was just good. That's and awesome. It, it also yeah. made me really like Mario Maker because like it it's it. By showing this stuff where it was clearly the guy the guy who works in the Nintendo Treehouse, which I guess is like the Nintendo of America localization yeah. group, uh-huh. yep. who made all these levels, was there as one of the commentators. And just like it showed that the level of just complete insanity that you can achieve <laughs> inside of that inside of that software while still like adhering to the rules of Mario is really strong. Also apparently a rule of Mario Maker that I did not know and thus we talked about this before, is you have to, before you can post a level online, you have to be able to beat it. Yep. Oh, yeah. So you can okay. make... That's the, a classic user-generated Yeah, it's, it's... But, like, yeah, those good, Mario good Troll rule. levels, I, there's no regulation on any of that stuff on the sort of, like, homebrew stuff. But oh, with yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it was it was so cool to also just see like the most fucked version of of like the sort of seminal Mario yeah. games as well. Yeah. Like I don't know, it was that's awesome. It was really cool. That I mean, I've, I'm not going to talk about this because I've talked about it at least twice on this podcast before. But that that reminds me very much of the like Mario graphing calculator. Yes, scene yeah, that yeah. I, I was part of it. It's that, but like officially sanctioned. Oh, and then there was a surprise twist at the end where they all knew they were going to get trophy, but of course Miyamoto was the guy who showed up and handed it to them, and they just lost their minds. And it was just <laughs> like awesome. it was yeah. just like happiness times infinite a million which is like (laughs) i just a large number i don't know i like that that's nintendo's e3 presence because like they what are they going to show that's going to resonate with that audience at all just fuck it just have people playing their video games and screwing around the way that last year they just had a smash brothers tournament like whatever that's a good use of the nintendo keynote you know What were the what was were the, was was this where the puppets were? I saw like a Muppet. That was their thing. digital event. That's oh, okay, like their okay. thing that they broadcast that was as their, their like, press event. Yeah, their press kind of event was like thing. a Nintendo Direct thing, and it, it was, was way. You liked the Nintendo. Direct? I liked the Muppets. Yeah, the Muppets were good, but I, I like. Oh, I mean, like in terms of actual quality, it, was, it had nothing on last year because last year they had Splatoon, they had Toad, whatever Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. And they had Zelda, a bunch. They had right? Zelda. They had a bunch of like really strong games. This year it was like. Yoshi Amiibos, which are really cute, and then like there's an F, um, not F Zero, sorry, Fox. there's a Star Fox yeah, game, game, and there's awesome, a, the a Metroid Hunters game, which is like nobody was like really all that. Yeah, no, but that's like Twine that Yoshi game, that Twine, that yeah, that looks yeah. really cute. Yoshi's, that oh, yeah. Yeah. Twine Yoshi that. game painted a weird picture. Oh, you're thinking like you are Yoshi, Twine go Yoshi. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hello, I am Yoshi. Erotic Yoshi fan fiction oh. and, uh, Twine game. Yeah, <laughs> not quite. Nintendo announced erotic Yoshi fan Twine mode in Mario Maker. Lord. Oh my god. Watch out now. But the coolest part of that, I mean, it was really hit or miss. Yeah, it has it as Mario 1, 3, World, New Super Mario Brothers, and My Live Journal. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's no, it's, really... ca- it's not my personal Live Journal. It's just called, that's it's the just, mode. It's just don't, Live Journal. Don't mode. go to My Live Journal. Whatever. My uncle who works at Nintendo is in there. Giant page of text, one choice <laughs> at the bottom. There was actually it's a really. Mario. Yeah. I like it. There was a, a really cool moment where Miyamoto was actually showing off his his old notebooks, like the graph paper that they used to design the actual oh, like eighties oh, yeah, levels of, yeah. of Mario. You know, like you know, it was just very level designer one on one. But this was actually pre ever. You know, this wasn't like a conception. Like the side scroller was barely was very new when there were actually like exploration elements, of, like how they taught the player that you know the mushroom that comes down from the from the question block is good because you can't really jump away from it if the player's still sort of getting used to the controls right. yep. and the little Goomba is the bad guy. It was just very very cool to see that and you see the actual little illustrations and the graphing paper and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I dorked out over It's that. all really cool. It, it cool. feels like Nintendo this year at E3 was in a really good place where they didn't have anything to prove but they also weren't in a place where they felt like they were supposed to be like hubristic shits which is yeah, like totally. those are the two bad yeah, ends yeah, of Nintendo true, where they're like yeah. everyone's yes. gonna love this Wii U shut up no one loves it or like all you want to see is more, more Wii sports waggle whatever, controls yeah, right. like, yeah. you know, just like the yeah. worst Nintendo or when they're at the, those two points but they're like Right at the, right like, the apex there. of, like, yeah. being kind of comfortable. People That's are basically into them, what you know. the GameCube was for a lot of its... Yes, the most <laughs> totally. of the GameCube's life cycle is that, which is great. It's, like, good, comfortable, just, like, we're making good games on this thing. Yeah, and it feels like that's where they're at, but, like, they're really, like... That just... Their whole press presence felt like it embraced that in a way that just felt aside from... Mm-hmm. Apart from everything else, but not, like, combative or... Right. Or deliberately, like, trying to, like, disrupt it or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't feel like they're, like, jockeying for other platforms. Like, no, they're fans. just they're just doing a thing. And it was you really know? cool. People go fucking ape shit over Amiibo. 
Oh, they do. Well, all those ones. People all the, were just Skylanders, like Disney Infinity. Elbowing, those things are all elbowing each oh, other yeah. to take photos of like the like limited well, the edition amiibo that were at the the Nintendo booth. The Yoshi yeah. one is real cute. Everyone wants to set a figurine down on something and then watch it do a thing. It's amiibo. It's amiibo. No, it's amiibo figure. I wish the plural was amiibo or something. Amiibo boo. <laughs> amiibo. You guys want to do some reader mail? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I was going to ask about games. No. Nope. I think it's. Why don't we let the readers ask us about us? About, 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 about Jake. <laughs> Our Jake robot is broken. I okay, okay. Oh, no, okay. Jake bot. Speaking of robots, <gasps> um, yes. I am one. Ollie Moss writes Hi, Ollie. Hi, Thumbs. Um, apparently, Jake, he asked this question of you and then decided to send it in. Uh, the discussion of neural nets in last week's episode got me thinking. A prevailing theme of post-singularity science fiction is the idea that using archived data, personalities from humanity's past can be approximated and recreated as simulated intelligences. Obviously, the bleakest version of the AI AI apocalypse is that in which the robots use over 250 episodes of Idle Thumbs to digitally resurrect (laughs) the cast of the show and then force them to keep producing premium content indefinitely. In this nightmare scenario, whose simulation do you feel would be the most accurate? Would Sim Jake just be a Mario referencing fart noise making Allard obsessive? <laughs> Which accent would they settle on for Sim Danielle, Ollie? I think. Oh, I think Nick Breckens would probably be. No way, Nick Breckens would not be the most excited because I feel like I feel of like all. his darkness is is there is on the surface. Nick Breckens. Idle Thumbs, like, amalgam neural net AI would not be the most accurate, but it would be the villain. It would be, like, oh, yeah. if, if it's the story of us being resurrected, he's the one who turns and then, like, creates the dark net of just Breckens or something. Like, An but, army of Brecken AI. Yeah, but I don't, know who the most, I don't know who the most accurate one is. Probably Steve Gaynor. Just Steve's just Steve. That's true. What you see is what you get with Steve. Yeah, there just Steve. <laughs> Take that, Steve. That was surprisingly Steve. easy question to answer and his, his prediction for what my that. robot would be is is correct hmm. would mine just say i played a lot of games they would have to create fiction like presumably they wouldn't you have any need for video games, games anymore yeah. so they would have to like keep inventing so there would just be like an, an itchio blaster seven it yeah cool. exactly just to be another robot creating itchios like That's what it is. yeah sort of like natural language assembly robot that is uses like itchio <laughs> with like a like 10% weighted Moby games. Yeah. Unfortunately, whenever you say okay, it sounds like Toad. Okay! Yeah. <laughs> you've said that more than you've said okay in a normal human voice. It's true. What would actually happen is that that would like get averaged out with the rest of your accent and oh, just no. weirdly introduce like half a percent of Toad into everything else yeah. you're saying. Because it doesn't sound like one of the puppets from Labyrinth. Oh my god. <laughs> that sounds interesting. We should experiment with this. No, we should not. No. no, we should. The future of this you're email right. will... will be contributed to by us. Um, Paul Carroll writes, Hey Thumbs, something I think about a lot when playing games is how well they communicate a sense of scale. Not like huge monoliths in the distant scale, but how real your immediate environment feels. Modern games have gotten really good at creating consistent, believably scaled wor- worlds. Mm-hmm. Are there any older 3 game, 3D games that did really well at this? Do you think tools have improved, improved over the years, or have developers and designers actually gotten better at creating 3D environments? Thanks, Paul Carroll. It feels like it's still hard. It is hard. Like It feels like it, people are just better at it. I think also. I don't think there's no like there's no eh, quick tricks to get no, that stuff right. There's no quick tricks, but as the amount of detail that you can have actually modeled in the space has gone up, I think that the sense of scale has slowly gone to be more real. Because like the older the first person shooter, the bigger the doors are, and I think that's <laughs> partly just because you couldn't ever get close to any of those things. Like they and just 
the speed at which you move in all those games is totally stylized. Like the world is just almost seen like in pastiche in like yeah, in in big old like in Goldeneye or like original yeah. Counter Strike even or like Quake. But now I think player movement speed has gone way down, so you can hit a smaller door target as well. You know. And also the level of detail has gone up and you often see characters' hands in the games. And there's all these things that sort of make you have to make things. with scale. Yeah. And a lot of times what it means is you have to like still make the scale artificial in some ways so it doesn't break other things that are now in your game. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you do that carefully, it can be really cool. I mean, like even in, in Gone Home, the doors are still bigger than they would be in a regular house just yeah. because you yeah. have to contend with the fact right. that you're a big bulbous like yeah. capsule collision object blundering through a space using a keyboard and mouse and not a person who can sort of like artfully move out of the way of something so scale is still the thing i have the most difficulty with as a baby baby dev it's also just hard to get right in a drawing like scale is just hard to get right anyway like conveying conveying and representing scale just as like a cartoon is fucking hard yeah Mm -hmm. that's correct at least in a way that's meaningful yeah artists and designers are smart in conclusion not that smart (laughs) <laughs> doors are still Smarter really big in video me. games <laughs> yeah. that's your like big you have a bug what is wrong that. with this door i'm a rare that's person firewatch is outside no doors. no doors our doors are actually i think the right side they're a little big but they're close but i, I think <laughs> it's because real stickler about this it's because i'm a person i'm a rare <laughs> dummy i guess who actually looks up often when i play first person games because i'm always just interested in the world mm-hmm so I always go through a door and look up and just see like right. five feet yeah, of space yeah, yeah. above. I know. It's, it's always really weird. Off. It's just yeah. stupid. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It doesn't mean it. Like, just make it shorter. Yeah. It's fine. Um, Brett DeVille writes, Hey, Thumbs. Hi, Brett. Uh, question for Chris here, though. Curious to hear other examples. I am a fellow New York Times crossword app player. Chris <laughs> teased he would discuss the app on episode 215, but didn't get around to it. A few months ago, I upgraded the app and discovered that they are now tracking various things, including how you do on the puzzles on average, etc. They've also added tracking of your streaks, how many days in a row you have successfully completed the puzzle without hints, and bef- and before the day ticks over. He didn't mention that part, but they you don't get a streak if you do it after, I guess, midnight Eastern time. Um, I found that this negatively impacts me when on occasion when I forget to do the puzzle or end up doing it very late in the day. If it breaks that streak, I'll often skip a few days afterwards out of pure despondency. This is ridiculous Aww. because I quite enjoy doing the puzzle, but it happens. I'm not usually put off by how I do against the average time, but that streak counter guts me if I miss a day. Uh, do any of you experience this either with this or another game? I know Chris Hecker talked about this with regards to achievements years ago, but this is a different thing. Achievements are only positively gained and never taken away. The only other thing I could imagine is that is similar is if you started falling off of daily leaderboards or something. Yeah. Anyway, yours in black and white, Brett Duville. <laughs> yes, Sean, that is a broad reference to Casablanca. Yeah, oh, beautiful. He's really mad at me for not having seen Casablanca. Oh, okay. So Aww. mad that he sent me the Blu-ray. So I'll answer this first. With <laughs> res- That's nice of him. It's a good movie. <laughs> so um, I'll answer this with respect to this first, and then and then you guys can chime in with other examples. Um, yeah, that is the thing I was going to talk about, about the New York Times crossword last week, is that as he says, a couple months ago, they updated it and they do track all those stats. And I love the streak. I really, really love it. Of course it. you do. Well, because the thing is... days of Spelunky over here. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, actually, I, I want to draw a comparison to, to that exact game. I know. Because, the way, because they actually ended up being very different for me in that way. Okay. Yeah, they're actually not as similar as you might think for me in the streak, um, like, sort of effect on my brain. But um, so with the New York Times crossword, the, the reason that it didn't, it has not had the impact on me that it seems to with Brett is because I've already been doing it every single day without fail for mm. what I would guess is like five or six years now. Um, there's not a single day since I started doing the crossword that I have mm. not 
completed. And that doesn't mean I did it on time. I've, I've, you know, I very frequently You've completed every qua- every New York Times crossword for five years. Yes. The Sunday was really hard this week. <laughs> the Sunday was unusually hard for a Sunday this week. You're right. Yeah, I'm yeah. like got like it's got a cra- a it's got third a, of it done, and it's yeah. just I just kick it. It has ass. a cool like gimmick thing though in it. Yeah, I haven't cracked. Haven't that yet. Yeah, it's cool. Once you get it, you'll be pleased. Okay, good. Well, man, I don't know if you will or not, but I was pleased. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh. So because of that, man, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm already really. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll end up. Sometimes there are months where I'll look back on the month and there's like seven puzzles that I have to clean up. You know what I mean? And that is that is like that's that's not, a bad must, month. They're all clean. like Thursdays and Fridays, the fucking hard ones. Sa- yeah, or Saturdays more, more likely, which is yeah. the hardest. Yeah, but um, oh god. Uh, but I, I've got but like well, all, although this, <laughs> I travel. I do a round trip plane flight every week. Have done every week this entire calendar year, and so that actually makes it much easier. But anyway, um, um. The thing I was going to say is that because I'm so accustomed to just getting the crossword done, um, usually by the end of the week, you know, usually it's, I don't let it go for a month, but uh, the streak is more like a cool thing when I do a good job of it, you know, and I actually get it done on the day. And then when I break it, it's like, oh, well, that sucks, but I was going to do this anyway. Like I wasn't, you know what I mean? It's not as yeah. though the streak is incentive me to do it in the first place. It's like a bonus if I do better. It is a huge bummer, though. I, Sunday, this that puzzle that you that you pointed out, mm-hmm. this week's Sunday was I broke a streak of about two and a half weeks. I think my previous best streak was thirty four, which I know because it always tells you what your best streak was, <laughs> and I've only I've only gotten that far once. Um, like Brett, I also don't find the more granular stats to be like I don't ever I don't ever go look and look up at my average Wednesday time. Like they track your average time for each day of the week. Um, but one nice thing is that when you finish one, if you fit, let's say, you know, you finish a Thursday in 32 minutes and then it's like, um, that was seven minutes and 42 seconds faster than your average. And that's kind of a nice thing when you mm-hmm. see that. I don't go and like check well, out. You the... have enough data to where that number is actually meaningful. Yeah. Like, yeah. and what's crazy is they bat when they, when they introduced this, they must've been tracking this for a while because when they introduced it, it was already backfilled with like, you've completed mine was like something like 68% of puzzles in the kind of first day time limit. And I'm like, holy shit. They like, that's just been in there. been like tracking that the whole time. And they just didn't have a front end interface for it. Um, that was a depressing thing because I instantly started off with a number that was like much lower than I would have wanted it to be. Um, so anyway, compared to Spelunky, which you brought up, um, Spelunky was like total opposite of that, of that experience for me. I started doing Spelunky in September of 2013 and didn't miss a single daily challenge until I think May 11th, 2014, which is when we went on the Campo Santo Yosemite field trip. And like, obviously we didn't bring computers or anything, we, you know, a hiking trip. And, um, and at that point, because I had been so like, because my, my only real experience with the Splunky daily challenge ever was this unbroken streak. Suddenly now that the streak was broken, the entire it felt like the entire <laughs> web like was just snapped you know and i'm like well down. guess i'm done with that and it was i i haven't done a daily challenge once since i've played Man, the game if you twice. hadn't gone camping with us you might have been playing spelunky before we recorded this podcast <laughs> it's, it's, poss- it's possible uh, i probably would have missed one since then but uh but it was it it really was just like spells broken bam that's it it was mm-hmm. total cold turkey i didn't have any like sort of it's probably flare ups of like oh i missed try Nope, I was just done. Mm-hmm. 
so it was very different to me than the the crossroads streak for, for that reason. Yeah. I, I have two questions yeah. about this. The first one, well, one, I have one question and one observation. The first is a question. <laughs> I look forward and to your is, observation. Yes, it's an observation about these tracking, yeah. creating chains yeah. of things, yeah. phenomena. But the first one is a question about like. Legitimately, if they're tracking this kind of data, the next time, you know, we have a, a World War II scenario, we need really smart people. Are they going to go in and find people who are really, really fucking good at puzzles and things like that? No, mind the crossword like, time like, for Codebreakers. It doesn't make next... you good at anything else. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not crossword puzzles, but if the some Zodiac, kind of If puzzle, the Zodiac Killer shows up again... <laughs> that's where you got to yeah, watch if out. His, I don't if know. There's, if there's weird ciphers... The New York Times the crossword puzzle like, app switches into mode two. Using, like, telling you, strange historical <laughs> factoids to lead us to yeah. the bodies. It's like who was the prime minister of this Poland in nineteen forty nine? Yeah, this could be useful information. But that's still more like a Jeopardy thing. The crossword stuff is weirder than that. That stuff's always in there, though. Like so yeah. much. Like I would say a good third of the crossword is just like factoid. Yeah, that changes. Factoid that changes shit. by day. But yeah, but the, but the stuff. But that stuff is also in. Jeopardy and Trivial Pursuit, the stuff that is unique to crosswords Mm -hmm. is just like weird, obscure words and like alternate spellings and like crazy acronyms and just like odd bits of language. That's the stuff that's like particular to crosswords Mm -hmm. that isn't also true of like trivia games. Yeah, I I guess we know that if the Zodiac came back and was like a 21st century Zodiac, they would just release like a Drop 7 clone. (laughs) (laughs) Numbers. They would just release the, yeah, the numbers version of of Drop 7. Because of Zodiac? Yeah. Oh, man, it would be. You gotta brand it. N-U-M-B-3-R-Z. Big Z. My observation is that... People just think it was... Oh, yeah, observation. Uh, My observation. I have very mixed feelings about tracking apps and things that... Mm -hmm. So I I joined this chains.cc thing because I was on the... chains.cc. It is just an app for tracking how long you can complete a chain of doing something every day. Just like literally anything? It could be anything. So the app doesn't know what it is. You're just... right. It's the relying on you to be honest. You said it. it. You tell it. Yeah. And there are groups online yeah. where you can like show uh-huh. your chains off or whatever. Like, I did this like because tooth of brushers or whatever. Your chains yeah. off. That well, sounds like a bust in a move show of some off kind. Chains yeah, flossy right now. Chains. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. I, I don't know why I sounded like an old man there. Flosh your chains. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're okay. I was hip hop guy. Is I, apparently clearly. Yeah. Is, you're just like a local news anchor reporting on the latest fad. And this is the thing. Local teams are flossing their chains. Don't know what that means. Ken Bastida reports. <laughs> Ken Bastida. <laughs> yes. I signed up for one because I was on the um the dancers podcast and they created the dancer size challenge, which was exercise every day from then it was some point in March t- until E3. And I couldn't keep up with this thing, even though I have had a 18 year streak of not missing one day of exercise. Like I never, ever, ever in my life, ever since I was 13, this is March of 1997, that I decided I would do this. I would work out every single day because I wanted to be tough and strong. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was weird. I was 13. I guess. Live forever. I guess. I want to live a healthy life. But, like, I can't be bothered to actually put it in an app. Like, it bothers mm. me to have to do that. Right, it right. annoys me on some yes. level. And I'm like, this is distracting from my true purpose I have in this- life. I totally, you have the same I, yeah, feeling. I totally yeah. relate. The only reason it works for me with the um, with uh, the crossword or or bec- with Spunky when I was doing it is because that was the actual thing that I was thing. doing. Yeah. Every single time I've tried to establish that kind of tracking, like for with an extrinsic thing, I have sure. just I just forget about just the tracking like part. It. I totally like yeah. it. Just falls off for me always. Yeah. It just feels like a 
like a nuisance. I don't yeah. know. It's barf. Anyway, barf. <laughs> well, guys. <laughs> Is that it? We Speaking of it? nuisance. That sounds about right. Yeah, well, it right. sounds like an idle thumbs to me. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, um, thanks for listening. You can find our website at idlethumbs.net slash idlethumbs. Best of all websites. Yes. Uh, or on Twitter at idlethumbs. And you can send us questions if you want us to answer your reader mail at questions at idlethumbs.net. Sean, what is this episode called? Oh, well, I was hoping we were going to talk about The Last Guardian a lot, and I was just going to call it The Cast Guardian. Sorry. (laughs) But I didn't really get to talk about that too much. I really want to talk about it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Maybe next week. Next week. Next week. Tune in to episode 217, The Cast Guardian. (laughs) Yes. Bye. Bye. Ill bleed. This episode of Idle Thumbs was brought to you by Zoom, a full-featured, easy-to-use video conferencing service. You can go to zoom.us slash thumbs for a free account. A free account. A free account. A free account of the events of this podcast. (laughs) You can discuss them with the Zoom uh, video conferencing solution. It's true. Yeah. Zoom.us slash thumbs. This is real. Coming this winter.